guys, welcome back or welcome for the first time to our Wednesday night midweek worship. I'm so glad that we get to have this time together. I'm glad that we get to spend time in worship to connect with God and to connect with each other. And for many of us, we we log on about 15 minutes early and we love to see all those comments in the comment section and, and hear where people are worshiping with us from. Uh, so I hope that time is serving as a connection point for you, as an opportunity to check in and connect with other believers and other people who are consuming our content. So I'm, I'm thankful that we have this time together. And I'm thankful we have this time in Psalms where we can spend time in God's word and see these common themes as they show up throughout the book of Psalms. And tonight we're going to be in Psalm 19, which is just such a beautiful song. And and it speaks to God's glory showing up in three big places that we have available to us every single day. And so I want us to spend some time seeing what that looks like, how we can live that out, and what's available to us. What is so accessible to us that shows God's glories at work in us and in our lives. So I want to go through Psalm 19 with us together tonight. But also, I know This is used to point to Jesus. This is used to draw us back to Jesus. In John, we we see this referenced about these scriptures and this creation pointing to Jesus. In Romans chapter 1 and chapter 8, we see Paul is referencing Psalm 19 to talk about Jesus and talk about our faith. So it's a psalm that kind of transcends, and it's really cool to see it at work. And as Christians who believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, who believe that he did conquer sin and death on the cross and he resurrected from the grave, we, we get to see him fulfilling God's promises and God's word in this song. So I want us to read a few verses and talk about a few verses and then read a few verses and talk about a few verses. And as we do that, I, I hope that you can see that Jesus is up to something still, fulfilling this hundred years old before he even came prophecy and and mention about God's glory in his life as he proclaims. In this season, as we've spent the last six weeks learning this new normal, this new rhythm, uh, I've noticed as we go out on walks as families or as we go out, as as I go out with with the kids or on my own, just in the neighborhood, I'm seeing more people out walking. And I think partially that's because it's springtime and things are warming up and we're enjoying the weather. But part of it is we're getting stir crazy. We're getting cabin fever, and we just need to get out and and mobile and moving about. And I think that's so great that we're able to do that. But in light of Psalm 19, I think it's even better that we get to consume God's creation. As we'll read, we get to see God is at work in his creation, and God is talking to us through his creation. And so we're going to read verses 1 through 4 together. Uh, You can read it on your own Bible. We're going to put the words up on the screen as well so you can read them or however you want to, maybe you just want to listen and take notes. That's that's cool too, but I want you to hear what God has for us through this psalm. Uh, Verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. So some powerful words about what creation is doing. Creation is talking about who God is. The heavens declare the glory of God. We get to see God's glory through creation. And that's the first big thing available to us every day. God's creation. We receive God's glory. We see God at work in creation. It's his first revelation of himself to us. 
for years and years, generations and generations, we get to see God at work through creation, and he's revealed himself to us through what he's created. But a quick caveat to that, we know that creation is not God. We don't worship the trees. We don't worship the wind. We don't worship the skies. We worship the creator of those things. We worship God for those things, and his glory is made known through those things. So the wind doesn't happen without him. The trees don't happen without him. He, he speaks these things into being. He establishes these methods and these orders. He's created ways for things to grow up. And as they grow, they testify to who he is. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. So creation itself is speaking about who God is, and it's helping us know God more, his character more, because that's what he's made it to be. It's this beautiful display about this is who I am. This is how I'm at work. And so we see God in creation. But I referenced earlier that that Paul talks about this psalm and and brings it back around to who Jesus is and what God has been up to. So I wanted to read a verse, a quick verse from Romans 1 that points us to Psalm 19. Paul writes, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities. So this is God's characteristics, who God is. God's nature is seen in his created nature. We get to see his eternal power, his divine nature. They've been clearly seen and understood simply through creation. Uh, We see in scripture that even the rocks will cry out, that blades of grass will sing praises to him. His creation tells us about who he is. But verse 3 kind of pivots and says they have no speech. They use no words and no sound is heard from them. I think this is a powerful testament to nonverbal communication. Nonverbal communication is so important. And if you're married, if you have kids, if you're a teacher, uh, an employer, an employee, you know how important nonverbal communication is. Many of us can think back to... uh, making a lot of noise in church or acting out when we shouldn't have acted out and the look that mom would give us, that sharp look that would tell us, we're going to be in trouble later. We should probably get things together now. I should act more correctly or I'm going to get it when we get back to the van after church or after this thing. Or or in marriage, we we know that look from our spouse that says, "I, I need you to start behaving differently or speaking differently. Or maybe it's an endearing look of, I really appreciate you. Or you've given a gift to someone, and, and they've opened the gift, and you get to see joy. They, they don't use any words. You get to see excitement, that they're thankful for this gift that you've given them. So because I've been reflecting on Psalm 19 for a few days now, I've been able to be more attentive to the nonverbals that God has for us. And so I wanted to highlight some of these nonverbals that I've seen and, and see the characteristics of God as well. Because God continues to provide. He continues to be consistent. The sun comes up every day. The sun goes down every day. The, the weather might be different. The events of our day might be different, but that is consistent. These created orders maintain. God provides light every morning, darkness every night. The nonverbals of God that I got to see was the hope of a sunrise. We aren't promised tomorrow, none of us. We have today. We get to live today. But I've been getting up early enough to watch the sun come up lately and and getting to see the hope that comes with that. 
because the sun doesn't just, you know, show up slowly. Once the sun starts coming up, you see it. And it's beautiful. And we see hope in a sunrise. We also see the rest of a sunset. For me, in my stage of life, when the sun starts to go down, that, that means rest is coming for me. Like it's been a full day. We have toddlers at home. And so it's, it's been even more full in some ways. And so sunset means rest is coming. That there's, there's a finish line in front of us. I've gotten to see the rest that comes with that. The humility of a starry night. Because of less pollution and less activity and less lights, we're getting to see more stars. And for me to look up into the heavens and see the stars, it's humbling to realize how small I am. It's life-giving to know that God cares about every hair on my head, even though I am this small compared to the heavens, compared to the stars, compared to creation. The nonverbals that show up is his power that brings humility. The beauty of a cloudless day, I think there's so much beauty in just seeing a blue sky. As we've been out flying kites lately, we get to look up and just see the kite and then this blue backdrop. That's just so awe-inspiring, so humbling, so cool to see and point to that and, and, and tell my daughter and tell my son, like, God created all of this. And we get to consume it, and, and it testifies to who he is. It speaks about who he is without using words, and it gives us knowledge about his character qualities. Again, without saying anything, it's saying everything. So creation brings glory to God. It's the first revelation of God to his people, and it's the, the nonverbal communication that God has for us to tell us about who he is. So I want us to read a couple more verses as we see. He's pitched a tent in the heaven for the sun. He goes on in verse 5. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. So when we focus just on the sun for a second, the, the big burning ball of light, the star that's shining so bright, providing warmth to us every day. And for many of us in in Texas, we get to see more sun than we probably care to see and experience. We get to see more warmth and experience more warmth than we want to sometimes. But it's a testament to the power of God, to the consistency of God. It rises at one end of the heavens and then it completes its circuit at the other. God continues to provide every day, that sunrise, sunset. But I love the metaphor he uses. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, a groom on his wedding day, finally getting to celebrate. I'm getting married. This is exciting. This is a big deal. Not passively tiptoeing or being dragged out of the room up to the altar, but celebrating. The sun bursting forth, light pushing away darkness. And then we get to see that's that's what Jesus did. That's, Jesus is like this creation that's crying out to who God is, that's speaking to his glory, is this light pushing back darkness, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. Someone who's experienced at winning, getting excited about doing what they get to do. That's what the sun is doing every day. I come up and I'm excited about what I do. If you're awake and you're outside, you're going to be able to tell when the sun is up. You're going to be able to tell when the sun goes down. You can't hide from the light, from the warmth. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. So we get to see God's creation. He's he providing the warmth that we need. 
He's providing the light that we need. And he's showing us that he's in control. He's powerful. He can control storms. He can control the sea. He can control the light. All these things in creation, we get to see that he is providing and he's showing us a little bit about who he is in all of this. So I hope that we can see God in creation some more. Because the psalmist is about to pivot in verse 7. He's, he's about to change direction and focus on the other part of God's glory that we get to participate in. But before we jump to that, I want us to think through what could I do to see God's glory in creation every day? Do I need to look out the window every day? Would it be that simple? As you look out the window and you see the squirrels looking for their daily provision that's given to them. You see the birds eating what God has provided for them. As Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 6, he said, why would we worry because God has provided food for the birds of the air? He's taking care of his creation. And that's a testament to him taking care of us as well. So I think we need to be using this time as we enter into spring, which may last for a week or six weeks. It's unknown in Texas how long spring will last and when summer will start but why don't we enjoy the creation and see the creator through it as he gets glory from his created order. And then he pivots and he jumps into God's glory in his word. So we're going to read verses 7, 8, and 9. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The the decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. God's glory is showing up in his word, in his law, in his statue, his precepts, his commands, fear, decrees. This governance, this order that he's given us gives him glory. And so I think about these things that jump out about his glory. It's His law is perfect, refreshing, trustworthy. It makes us wise. It's right. It gives us joy. It's radiant. It provides light. It's pure. It's enduring. It's firm. And it's righteous. This is a gift of God. His law is a gift for us. Scriptures are a gift for us. And, and many of us think like law and rules and order are really oppressive. That God's trying to hold us down from knowing what he knows, from enjoying what he's enjoyed. God's trying to limit us with his law. And I don't think that's accurate when we see that his law is perfect, refreshing to the soul. His law is good because it's good for us. And, And it's in walking in his law and obeying his law that we love our neighbor and our neighbor loves us, that we serve anyone who needs serving. That we don't raise the bar for some people to meet, but we're all on this level playing field. That God's law would allow us to be loved and to love, to serve and to be served. That his law would bring joy. That his commands would be for his people. Not to limit us and prevent us from experiencing things, but to give us joy. To fill us with light and life and happiness. His law does those things through protecting us, allowing us to be for our neighbor and allowing our neighbor to be for us. But I think what's even cooler, as as I said earlier, when we know what happens in the New Testament, when we know about who Jesus is, and we see that the scriptures point to who he is, that, that the word of the Lord points to Jesus, that this psalm talks about Jesus, we can see Jesus's qualities in this. 
we can see that, that God's characteristics become fulfilled in Jesus. The bodily image of God, his son, shows up in this because Jesus was perfect. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He lived a life that we could not live because we've all fallen short. We've all walked in sin. We've all experienced darkness. Jesus was refreshing. When he stepped on the scene, he, he shifted the whole system and turned everything upside down. He came to serve and not to be served. He came to seek and save the lost. He didn't come to sit on a throne. He came to serve the least of these. And he hung out with the least of these to show them love. That's refreshing to people who have no hope, who have no recognition and no worth from the order they live in. Jesus brought that refreshing hope. And it's in that refreshing hope that he showed how trustworthy he can be because God provides. He provided the perfect sacrifice when we were hopeless. When we had no opportunity to save ourselves, he already provided that salvation through his son on the cross. He makes us wise. Jesus was consistent in approaching people who misunderstood what God was wanting them to do, what God had said and done in the Old Testament. He was consistent in showing, hey, you believe this about the Torah, but here's here's the real truth. You, You believe that you shouldn't murder someone, but I'll tell you if you have evil thoughts against them in your heart. You believe that you should not commit adultery, but I'll tell you if you lust after someone in your heart. Those are the same things as doing those sins, so don't call yourself sinless. So he is making wise the people who need to hear it. He's confronting the Pharisees about their misunderstandings. He is giving joy. When I think about giving joy, I think about John chapter 4. He meets a woman at the well, and, and she has, she's had several husbands, and the man she's with now is not her husband. And Jesus calls her out on it and says, listen, I, I know you're pursuing uh, some sort of worth or satisfaction in these men that you're hooking up with or that you're hanging out with or that you're, you're wanting them to meet your needs and they just can't. And I want to offer you a water that will quench your thirst, a living water. And her response to that was to run back in joy because he gave her joy to tell everyone, hey, come and, and meet a man who knew everything about, who told me everything about myself. He didn't condemn me. He didn't knock me down. He didn't tell me how worthless I am like these people probably did. She was filled with joy because he brought a change in her life, which led to him being radiant, bringing light. He was pure. Jesus was enduring. He endured oppression. People were not necessarily for Jesus. The people in power did not want Jesus to succeed and thrive, but he endured through all of that. He had had nowhere to lay his head. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but Jesus, the son of man, didn't have anywhere to rest. He endured because he knew the task set before him was our salvation. And he was firm and righteous. He spoke the truth in love and he upheld the law of the Lord. He upheld the law that God had given the people. The law that was for the least of these and the law that's for people who don't even realize how much the least of these they are. So in John chapter 5, as, as we jump forward from John 4, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees. And, he, and he's saying, you study the scriptures in vain. You're reading the Torah in vain because you think that in the Torah you have life. In knowing the scriptures, you have salvation. But you refuse to come to me, of whom the scriptures testify. 
So you think that these Pharisees, they knew the Torah front and back. They memorized it. They followed the rules. And so they thought that meant they were perfect. They were saved. They were set. And Jesus is saying, I I am the way. The scriptures aren't the way. Just knowing the Torah isn't going to help. It's recognizing who they're pointing to. Just experiencing creation isn't isn't the end itself. It's recognizing what creation is pointing us to, the glory of God. Reading scripture is not the end-all, be-all. It's recognizing what scripture is pointing us to. We can read the scripture and think, oh, this will solve my doubts, but when it doesn't solve our doubts, what's that going to lead us to? But if we read scripture through our doubts and recognize that Jesus is more than enough to cover that, Jesus will meet us right there in our doubts, in our worry, in our shame. He continues to do so. When we see that scripture is pointing to Jesus, we can see how fulfilling this is and how perfect God's law is and how refreshing and radiant and enduring and firm this is because the scriptures testify to him. So John points to Jesus through Psalm 19. Paul points to Jesus in Psalm 19, as we read from Romans 1. We get to see the law and the scriptures are about Jesus. And Jesus corrected the Pharisees because they thought, okay, that Abraham, he's the father of all. Abraham, he set this order. He's God's chosen one. We're part of God's chosen people. And Jesus says, I'm the new Abraham. They, they saw that Moses was the great obeyer of God. He, he's a man of God that leads God's people from slavery into freedom. And Jesus says, but I'm the new Moses. Even the Old Testament is pointing to me. Even the Torah is pointing to me. Even the poetry and songs of Psalms are pointing to me. That's what all this is about. It's not the New Testament is about Jesus. Scripture as a whole, it's about Jesus. And that's what we need to celebrate. And that's what we need to get here through Psalm 19 is that the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing to the soul. Reading the scriptures is going to be something that refreshes us because it points us to Jesus. But I think many of us are listening to sermon after sermon, going to church to church, viewing a church online and then another church online, reading this book and then listening to that podcast, and that's the extent of our faith. We're dancing around the idea of actually digging into the scriptures ourselves. We're just consuming pre-digested material from different pastors and different authors and different speakers and different podcasters. And I think we're missing it if that's all we're doing. And, and I'm aware that I am a pastor on a screen giving you information that I have already digested from the scriptures. I still think it's healthy for us to listen to sermons because the word of the Lord is useful for teaching and it should be taught. But I don't think you should rely on listening to Josh's sermon on a Wednesday and then Keith's sermon on a Sunday, and that's the extent of your spiritual growth. That's not healthy. Because then you're, you're, you're hearing, hopefully, true things, powerful things. I, I pray that God has anointed these messages that we prepare and dig into. But I think this is just part of your spiritual growth. We need to be feeding our own faith, and that comes from consuming the law, the precepts, the commands, That comes from recognizing that God's statutes are trustworthy and they make us wise. And that happens when we consume the scriptures for ourselves and realize that they're pointing us to Jesus. So that's part of my challenge to you is what are you doing to consume the scriptures for yourself? Instead of relying on some pastor to spoon feed you your faith, how are you pursuing your faith yourself? 
because the law of the Lord is it's for you. It's for you to be put into work loving your neighbor and loving God, not just consuming content. And I love that he goes on to tell us, as, as this points us to Jesus, we see in verses 10 through 12, in God's law, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. So God's word is more precious than gold. It's sweeter than honey. It provides a warning and a reward. These are, these are big things for us to consume on our own. It's to recognize gold is a big deal. Gold is precious. It's a commodity and it's worth a lot. But the fact that every day in our pocket, on our phone, on our iPad, on our computer, on, on the hard copy of the scriptures that we have, we have something more precious than gold, worth more than gold. We get to consume something sweeter than honey. And I've been consuming a lot of honey. Allergy season's picking up, and so I'm, I'm buying honey that my neighbor bees made for me so that I wouldn't have to have allergy attacks. And it's sweet. And it's so good in everything I, I put it in. I mix honey. It's great. Eat it off the spoon. Wonderful. But what God has for us in his word is sweeter than that because it's a promise, and it's perfect, and it's enduring, and it brings joy. And that's something we get to pursue and consume on our own. Because by his law, by God's word, by the scriptures, we get a warning and a reward. A warning is, is the dangers of sin that we tend to walk and tiptoe into, that we tend to choose. The reward is an eternal life. The reward is a water that quenches our thirst, as Jesus told the woman in John 4. So how are we feeding ourselves that honey? Are we just receiving it from someone else? Or should we go directly to the source to see God's glory in his scriptures, in his law, in his precepts, his promises that he has given us through the Bible? What are we gonna do to consume that? So we've got God's glory in creation, God's glory in the scriptures, and the last pivot is God's glory in us. This is the the prayer that he kind of closes with in verse 13. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then... I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This this is God's glory in us, is that we would be free from willful sins. That sin would not rule over us, that we would be blameless, innocent of great transgression. This is the reward we have. We get to be blameless and righteous perfect in God's eyes. And that's a big deal, to have your worth defined by him instead of by some other metric of success that the world has given us that we'll probably never live up to. But in Jesus, we're made righteous and perfect. And I think in this season, we, we spent six weeks kind of getting to where we are today. We've lost our normal rhythms, and now we're far enough into this chaos that we have these new normal rhythms. But the danger in all that is we used to have these built-in measures, these built-in schedules of accountability, these built-in ways to keep us from willful sinning. And But now, all that's out the window. We're not around the people that would hold us accountable as much. We don't have the practices and the rhythms in our schedule that would keep us from wandering down other paths. And so now we're at home, 
and many of us are pursuing our own passions, our own desires. We're drinking what we want when we want, eating what we want when we want, consuming stuff that we shouldn't, pursuing old sins that God has already conquered in us, but we're choosing willfully to wander into them. We're wasting our evenings in sloth, trying to find the end of Netflix so that we can begin Hulu and then find the end of Hulu and then jump into Prime Video and then HBO Go and then Showtime Now and then watch ABC and all these apps that we're consuming, we're willfully entering into sloth. And I, I'm definitely not going to be the one that says, don't watch TV. I don't think TV is inherently bad. I, I think God has given us so many great things through his creation. But we willfully enter, enter into those things beyond moderation, into consuming them in excess and engaging in sin with them. Whether it be wine, alcohol, food, whether it be sex or the way we consume sex on a screen, all of this is distorted as we willfully enter into sin. But when we can center ourselves around the glory of God and be reminded through his creation, which is available to us every day, when we can center ourselves around the glory of God through his scriptures, which are available to us every minute of every day, and when we can center ourselves around this prayer that, that would you keep me from willful sins, that God's glory would be made known in us and to us, that's when we can have those protected measures again, that accountability again. So many of us need that reset. We need to be able to step back and say, all right, I, I've had some unhealthy habits for these last few weeks. I've drifted back in. I've run full steam of head back in, and I'm no longer pursuing healthy growth. I'm, I'm no longer a disciple. I'm, I'm definitely just hanging out. I'll get back to my faith when we get back to normal. But I think we're missing the point. We're missing God's glory in us. And that's this last verse. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my God, my rock and my redeemer. The words of our mouths, the words of our posts, our tweets, our Instagrams, our captions, the words of our text messages, the words of our fights with our spouses and our siblings, the words of our affirmations and our agreements. God, would the words that I use, whether written or spoken or nonverbal, be pleasing to you? The meditations of our hearts would be our thoughts. What are we thinking on? What are we spending our time worrying about, doubting, consuming, hoping might quench our thirst or satisfy some desire? Our wants, our insufficiencies, the meditation of our hearts is where we let our mind wander or where we focus our desires. And so how do we respond in our heart when we're faced with fear, attraction, desire, lack, tiredness, worry, loneliness, want, or lack of control? When we're put in those situations, we recognize what our hearts meditate on. So would the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you? What does it look like to please God? It's sprinkled all through God's perfect law. It's sprinkled all through scripture. Pleasing God happens when we possess the faith to believe he is who he is. He's done what he's done. A broken and contrite heart is what he desires. Obedience and repentance, fleeing from sin, recognizing the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. 
surrender. It's a daily word for me right now. Daily surrender, our lack of control to him so that it might be pleasing to him because it points our thoughts and our words back to him. Bearing fruit. Time and time again through the New Testament, we see that our faith is made evident through the fruit that we bear. And so what fruit are we bearing right now in the meditation of our heart? In the words of our mouths, how are we bearing fruit? And what is it testifying to? Praise and worship are pleasing to God. When we spend time singing or meditating on his word or or just meditating on songs about him, proclaiming his worthiness of our worship and praise, it's pleasing to him. And then showing him honor through the way that we love our neighbor as ourselves and love him above anything else. And then the last part, my rock and my redeemer. He is a rock. He will not fail. He's a solid foundation. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And when the rains came and the floods came, his house stood firm. But the foolish man built his house upon the sand. And when the rains came down and the floods came up, his house was destroyed. And that's what we have a choice to do is will we seek to have our words and our meditations of our heart be pleasing to him, our rock, or would we build our lives on the sand? Would we seek to have our words empty and weightless on a weak foundation? Because he's our rock and he's our redeemer, which means he's set us free from where we were. He has, he is, and he will set us free from those bonds, from those pains, from those hurts. So would the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts in this season and the next be pleasing to you, my God, my rock, and my redeemer? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for making yourself so available to us through your creation, through your word, and through the lives of ourselves and others. Would you continue to make yourself available to us every day? Convict our hearts and remind us of how you're at work in this season. Remind us of how you're working on us, working in us, and working through us so that we might bring you glory. And would we get to celebrate that every day as we consume the the creation you've put us in, as we read your word, and as we aim to uh, bring blessings upon others, live out holy lives through the meditations of our hearts. And God, right now, would you be a rock for us as many of us are feeling shaky and unsure, as many of us are proceeding in doubt and worry, lacking in provision, would you show up in a big way, in a very real way for us today? And we thank you for Jesus who fulfilled this law, who made this law perfect and holy. Would you continue to make Jesus known to us and in us and through us? And it's in his great name we pray, amen. Amen. Real quick, I, I wanted to issue an encouragement and a challenge for us as a response to Psalm 19. I want to encourage you to memorize verse 14 of Psalm 19. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, my God, my rock and my redeemer. Because if you memorize it, then you'll remember it and then you'll repeat it and then we can make it real in our lives every single day. And so memorizing that, we get to respond to seeing God's glory. So what is God's glory looking like in creation to you? Where are you seeing God in creation? And then when will you read your Bible? Continue to consume content. Be encouraged by pastors and teachers. Listen to podcasts, read books, watch church online, gather with us as a corporate body. But when will you 
read your Bible. If we can see God in creation and commit to reading his Bible, I think then we can have more pleasing words and meditations in our heart to him, our rock. So I hope you join me in that challenge and that reflection, and we look forward to seeing you back here Sunday morning at 10.